0: We're going to be in Revelations chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. We are going through the seven churches uh, in the book of Revelations, the seven churches that were in Asia Minor, that the Apostle John wrote the words of Jesus to them. Revelations chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. This is what it says. It says, "...And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last. The ones who died and came to life. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But you are rich. And I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and they are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful. What's those next two words say? Unto death. death. Jesus just told some of them right here, you're going to die for your faith. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, raise your hand in here if you have an ear. He who has an ear, this is for you. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You can be seated. This morning I want to talk to you about the fruits of a persecuted church. The Fruits of a Persecuted Church. Last week we were uh, in the first church in the book of Revelations. It was the church of Ephesus. And there are actually seven churches that uh, John writes to or that Christ actually gives command to write to. And out of these seven churches, five of them are commended for some things and they're rebuked for some things. Ephesus was literally told in this book, if you don't repent... From where you have fallen, I'm going to remove your church from this place. And he called it a lampstand. He said, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. Do you know that today, there is no church in Ephesus? Not only that, today, there is no Ephesus. Today, that beautiful harbor that we talked about last week, uh, and I know there, you know it's funny, Y'all must call each other each week and go, Hey, I'm going to be here this week, so uh, why don't y'all stay home? And then the next week, somebody else calls and says, Hey, I'm going to be here this week, so y'all stay home. Because it's a new crowd in here this week. So y'all call each other next week and say, Hey, let's everybody get together at the same time. (laughs) It'd be nice to, to see all the faces. But last week, I'm looking at faces that just weren't able to be here for whatever reason. And we talked about the Church of Ephesus, and I talked to you about it was the main market of all of Asia Minor. It was the most beautiful city in all of, um, in all of Greece, pretty much. And today, that city is no more. You go over this place and it's nothing but ruins. This beautiful harbor has filled up with silt and it is literally underneath the silt. You have to dig it out in the ocean to be able to see the harbor that used to be the main marketplace of all of Asia. And Jesus prophesied that. He told them. He said, if you don't repent, I'm coming and I'm removing my presence from this place. And then there were other churches that he told the same thing. He told them that, listen, you there are some things that I see that you're doing good, and there are some things that you're doing as a church that you need to correct. There's some things you need to change. You know, here, here's the problem I think that we have as Westerners today, or as Americans. Um, we come to church every Sunday, but. I don't think enough of us actually come with a mindset of God, I know that my ways are not your ways. I know that I have fallen short of what you created me to be. And I know today I need to hear something from your word that I can apply to my life that changes me. Amen. I don't think we have enough of that today. And I think that there were churches in Revelations that dealt with that same thing. They were churches coming in. They were working hard. They were doing so many things. And Jesus would say, listen, there's an area in your life that you're neglecting. There's a place that you refused to surrender to Him. And because of that, I'm telling you, a, a, a halfway surrender is not surrender at all. And so Jesus is warning us in these letters. He's trying to give us fruit that we can look at, that we can show ourselves. Uh, Because remember, churches are made up of individuals. Churches are not just buildings. So when He says, He who has an ear, let him hear, He's not just talking to a body. He's talking to people. And then this church in Smyrna we get to, and what's amazing about this church is they don't have a rebuke one. They are only commended for everything they've done. But let me tell you something that's significant about them. They are the persecuted church. I'm going to go through here in just a minute and show you just exactly how persecuted this church is because I'm going to tell you something today. We don't know what suffering is. Especially not as Christians. All of us know the pain of suffering to some degree. We have all everyone in here, if you're part of the human race, we know suffering to some degree, some more than others. Some of us have, have endured suffering that, that I, I don't even want to think of and imagine having to go through that in my life. But all of us to some degree or another have endured suffering. Galatians chapter 6 tells us that we reap, What we sow? In other words, so sometimes we suffer because of the seeds that we planted. How many of you ever made a bad decision in your life and you've had to reap consequences because of it? Sometimes we suffer because we reap what we sow. And the truth of the matter is, every one of us are going to fall into that category sometime or another. You don't know how many times I've laid my head down at night or woke up in the morning with such a heavy heart and a pain in my stomach thinking to myself, you stupid idiot. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why can't you just keep your mouth shut? Can I get a witness? I figured there's a few in here like that. Why can't you just keep your mouth shut? Why can't you just... Do right for a chance. You don't know how many times I prayed to God and said, God, if you could just make me a robot. If you could just save me from myself and just, and just do for me everything that you want done, we'll be okay. But if you keep leaving this thing in my hands, we are a mess. Sometimes we, we suffer because we reap what we sow. Romans chapter 1 tells us that Mankind didn't want the knowledge of God. Romans 1.28 literally says, because we did not want the knowledge of God in our minds, God gave us over to debased minds. He said, He gave you over to your own ways to do those things which are not fitting, to be unloving, to be unforgiving, to be unmerciful, to be murderers and rapists and thieves and liars and blasphemers. He gave us over to those things. So not only do we suffer sometimes because we reap what we sow, but sometimes we suffer because of what others sow. How many of you in here have ever suffered because of what somebody else did? Families in here that suffer because of mistakes that fathers and husbands or wives and mothers or or, or because of things that your children did. I know families that were destroyed because of bad decisions that their kids went out and made. Sometimes because of our debased mind. Because we don't want the knowledge of God. We don't. We want our way, right? We want to do it our way. And because of that, God said, okay... Let me show you what a world looks like when you have your way. Anybody looked around at the United States lately? That's what a world looks like when you have your way. When we don't do it God's way, but we do it our way, we suffer for it. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that sometimes our suffering is because God is discipling us as children... If you're a parent in here today, if you're a wise parent in here today, you know that there have been times in your life that you've had to discipline your children because you don't want to see them make mistakes that are going to do them harm. And so you discipline them in order to, not because you just want to hurt them or you want to punish them, but if you're a good parent, you love them so much. That there's no way that you want to allow to see them go a bad direction so you will do whatever it takes to lead them right. Well, if you being a good parent, and you're evil in your heart and you're in your mind truthfully, if you know how to do that to your children, how much more does the perfect heavenly Father know how to lovingly discipline His children? So there are times in our lives that we do suffer because of the sin in our lives a lot of times we, we want to look at it and we want to tell each other uh, you can't look at it and think it's sin no I think we should every time we're in some kind of trial or suffering I think the first thing that ought to be wise of us to do is to evaluate our lives and go God is there a place in an area in my life that I know that I'm not right with you is there an area that I need to look at is, is this discipline from you And then if I can't find that, then I move on to the next thing. Maybe this is just suffering because of debased minds in this world. Maybe this is just suffering because of seeds that i sown somewhere back in my past. How many of you know that just because you plant corn today don't mean it comes up this evening? Sometimes you're reaping things today that you planted 30 years ago. There are all kinds of ways that we suffer. As Christians, the book of Luke 22 and Job chapter 1 tells us that sometimes we suffer because of our faith in God. It tells us that Satan literally comes before God and says, God, you know they say they love you. They come in and they sing songs to you. They pray to you. But do you really think that they love you for nothing? Take this away from him. Watch him curse you. The Bible tells us that Satan literally comes before God and accuses us day and night of not having true faith in God. See, Satan's mad. He's mad because he was God's most beautiful and greatest creation. There was none like him, according to the Word of God. And he rebelled against God and he fell from his trust in God. And his faith fell and God cast him down. And now God has raised up the weakest of all of his creation, mankind. That's right, we're the weakest of all of his creation. Think about it for one minute. Is there anything else in creation besides us that looks at the creator and says, No, I will not do what you say. The sign comes up exactly when God says, don't The sun goes down. Exactly what God says. If the sun is told to stop, you know what it does? It stops. The ocean only comes as far as God says it can go. Any of you ever felt the power of the ocean? And yet, if God says stop, you know what it does? It stops. And yet, we, mankind, God says Walk this way. And we stand up in the face of God and we say, No. We are the weakest and the most frail of all of His creation. And yet God, in order to shut the mouth of His enemy, Satan, the greatest of His creation, He takes the weakest of all of His creation and He gives them faith. And as we follow and worship and praise God in faith, God looks at Satan and He says, He says, I can take the weakest, I can take the weakest of what I created, and I can use it to do what I created you, the greatest that I created to do. See, Satan, before he was cast down, you know what his job was? Somebody said He was the worship leader in heaven. That's what he was created for. He was created to lead worship in heaven. He was created to lead all the angels in the worship of the almighty God. And this great being said, you know what? I can be God. And God said, I'm going to shut your mouth. I'm going to take the weakest of all of my creation and I'm going to raise them up to do what I created you to do. I can take the littlest thing on this planet The most insignificant thing, and I can raise them up to do what you were created to do. And the Bible literally tells us that God shuts the mouth of his enemies through the praise of his people. Wouldn't that make you mad? Let me ask you a question. If you were doing a job, how many of you on your jobs feel like that? And just be honest. You feel like that if you went home, that place would shut down. Y'all ain't being honest. So y'all a bunch of liars in here this morning. That's what y'all are. If I wasn't there, this place would shut down. What would, how would it make you feel if they brought a two-year-old in here tomorrow and they did your job? Your boss brought a two-year-old in and said, you know what, I appreciate all the 20-something years you put in here, but why don't you just go on home because this little baby right here has got this. <coughs> How would that make you feel? What could you say? You couldn't say anything. Your mouth would be shut. And that's what God does. God says, I tell you what, Satan, why don't you just sit on down because I can take them to do what you were created to do. If I want to, I can make rocks cry out to do your job. And God warns us of that in our pride. Man, I'm getting so far away from my (laughs) message." God warns us in that in our pride. He says, guys, listen. You can quit worshiping me if you want to. You can lift up yourselves and live for who you are and you can be what you want to be. But let me tell you something. If you shut up and you quit praising, the rocks will cry out. Amen. The rocks can do what you do. Satan asks God to come at us because he hates us for what we're doing. So Satan literally comes before God and says, their faith ain't real. And God says, oh yeah it is. Go ahead. Test them. Test them. And God allows our faith to be tested. All of us know the pain of suffering, and especially those of the faith in Jesus Christ. We probably won't suffer like the Christians in Smyrna. And I'm going to give you just a glimpse of that here in just a minute. But we might. And my question to you this morning is, what if we do? What if God allows suffering? What if one day... You know the Christians that are still in Smyrna today, there are few... But the Christians that are still in Smyrna today in this same church, they are still being beheaded for being Christians today. What if the day comes? You know, we have have a great security team and we try to be wise and try to think ahead and look out. But the truth of the matter is, at any moment the devil could send anybody to sit right in the midst of you right now. And in the middle of this service, as I'm preaching, get up and take as many of you out as they want. You know that's a reality, right? What if one day that takes place and you are persecuted for your faith and you say, Will you deny Christ as the Lord? When your faith is put <coughs> to the test and persecution truly comes to your front door, would you be faithful? That's my question. How much do you believe what you believe? You better think about that this morning. Smyrna, it was known as the crown of Asia Minor. It was like Ephesus. It was a beautiful city. It was known as the crown of Asia. It had a beautiful harbor on the sea. The city set inland several miles past these beautiful rolling hills. And if I had I had time, I'd have got some pictures to show you a little bit about what it looked like. But there was the harbor and the sea, and then they had these beautiful rolling hills that went several miles to the inland of the city. And then behind the city, there was this great hill that was filled with great temples. There was temples to uh, Apollo, the the god of water. There was uh, temples to Aesculapius, who was the god of medicine. There was temples to Aphrodite, to Zeus. There were temples to several gods that were built on this hill. So there was great pagan worship in this place. Smyrna was the center of science and medicine. So it would have been a very, very well-established city. It would have been a, a place where people would have went to have learned about science and to have got treatment for different illnesses and to, to, to get new uh, research on uh, medicines that were taking place. Being a Christian in Smyrna was a very tough thing. Not only did they fight like Ephesus against their Greek gods and their idol worship, but Rome hated Christianity. At this time when this letter was written, Rome hated Christianity. And then Rome gave this city their freedom like I told you about Ephesus last week. Rome gave Smyrna their freedom and stationed no troops in this place but let them govern themselves. And here's why. Because of the worship that they did to Rome. See, this city believed that Rome was literally a goddess and that Caesar was the, the God, the king of this world. And so they worshipped Rome and they worshipped Caesar. They literally had an altar built to Caesar in this place. And if you did not come once a year before this altar and vocally proclaim Caesar as Lord and then sacrifice incense to him, they gave you a certificate once you got this done and, if, they, and if, if one of the law-abiding citizens of that place saw that you didn't have a certificate for worshiping Caesar, they literally called for you to be killed. And the whole town and multitude came together and said, these are atheists. And they called you atheists because you did not worship Caesar and you did not believe that Caesar was a god and they killed you for it. Smyrna was a tough place to live for a Christian Christian. So now listen to the encouragement that that, that, that Jesus gives to them in Revelation chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2, verse 8 he says, to the angel or to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last. First off, I was in the beginning with God before creation. I am the first. He says here, I want you to understand that I know what glory is like. But I'm also the last. I'm also the one that knows the end. I'm the one who knows how all this turns out. There's a reason why he introduces himself the way that he does. And then he goes on, he says, I'm the one who died. Not only am I the first, the one that knows the glory of God and has shared in the glory of God and has been perfect in every way, but I'm also the one who stepped down from all that to poverty as Chris read from the Scriptures this morning, I'm also the one that stepped down to the lowest of the low in human form and I suffered in a way that no one else has ever suffered or will ever, ever suffer. And I am the one that died. So this is a guy that when he's writing to you, he wants you to understand I can relate to any kind of suffering and persecution you're going through. I'm the one who died, but I'm also the one that came to life. He said, I'm also the one that, even if it means that you have to be faithful unto your death, I'm also the one that's proved I have the power over death and I have the power to give life. So I want you to understand something. If it means your life in order to keep your faith, they can't take from you the life that I have to give. I'm the one who died. And I'm the one who came to life, so I can give you life if it means your death. This is a great encouragement to hear. There was a letter that was written from the church of um, of Smyrna. I'm going to read just a few parts of it, but this letter was written just a few years after this letter was written, and it's actually the the epistle of the church at Smyrna concerning the martyrdom of St. Polycarp. Polycarp was their pastor. He was 86 years old. But I want to tell you just, just a little something about the Christians that lived in Smyrna. Listen to this closely. All the martyrdoms, or the people that were murdered for their faith, they were blessed and noble, and all of these things took place according to the will of God. For it becomes us who profess greater piety than others to ascribe the authority over all things to God, even the death of his saints. And truly, who can fail to admire their nobleness of mind and their patience and with love towards their Lord which they displayed? Who were they who when they were so torn with scourges that the frame of their bodies, even to the very inward veins and arteries, was laid open, they still patiently endured. While even those who stood by pitied them and bewailed them. But they reached such a pitch of compassion for their enemies that not one of them let a sigh or a groan escape them. I hope y'all heard that. They reached such a pitch of compassion for their enemies that not one of them let a sigh or a groan escape them. Thus proving to us all that those holy martyrs of Christ, at that very time when they suffered such torments, were absent from the body. In other words, even though God allowed them to be beheaded, and even though God allowed them to be eaten by lions, they would literally wrap meat around the Christians and send them out in Smyrna to the Colosseum and feed them to the lions. They give an example here of a man named Jemernicus, who actually they put him in because he would not save Lord Caesar. That's what it says in this letter. That they, they entreated him to save Lord Caesar. They said, what harm would it do to save your life and just save Lord Caesar and sacrifice to him? He said, I can't do it. And they put him and other Christians in the arena. And they said, they said because of his age, they were to put him in the back. He went to the front. And when he went to the front, he literally started yelling and waving his hands for the lions to try to, to bring them on first. That's the kind of faith this guy had. It says, in looking to the grace of, God, of Christ, they despised all the torments of this world redeeming themselves from eternal punishment by the suffering of one single hour for this reason the fire of their savage executioners it appeared cool to them for they kept before their view escape from that fire up for such as endure things which i'm sorry which the fire which is eternal and never shall be quenched and they look forward with their eyes of their heart to those good things which laid up for such as endure the faith. It says that uh, in like manner those who were condemned to the wild beasts endured dreadful tortures, being stretched out upon beds full of spikes and subjected to various other kinds of torments. Do you hear that? beds full of spikes, and objected to other various kinds of torments in order that if it were possible, the tyrant might, by lingering tortures, lead them to a denial of Jesus Christ. And there are many, many other examples in this, but the one I want to get to is Polycarp. Polycarp was 86 years old. He was the pastor of this church. And after these Christians started to be murdered they said the city came together and in one accord they said bring out Polycarp. we want the leader so they go and they find Polycarp, and he has done went to this house in the country and he heard they were coming and he could have escaped but he didn't run instead he stays in his house and the Bible says or not the Bible but this letter I'm sorry this letter says that he stayed in this upper room and he prayed night and day for the churches and even for his enemies that he knew was coming. And this was his custom that he did. And when they got there, they went upstairs, they got Polycarp, and he came down and he said, you don't need swords, you don't need clubs, I'm not going to give you any trouble, I'm going to go with you. Would you like something to eat? Literally. And the letter says that they set before them all the food that they could eat. They fed the soldiers. And then whenever they were fed, he said, The only thing I ask from you is to give me one hour to pray without any distractions. Just give me an hour. And he goes and he prays. And he prays in such a way that they let him pray for two hours because they were amazed at the way he prayed and at the things that he prayed for, the way he prayed for his enemies, the way he prayed for the ones that were coming to get him. And then it says that they took him after that, and they took him and they tried in every way. They they felt so sorry for an 86-year-old man. They said, listen, you are so respectable, and you are such a good person. Why in the world would you not just say, Lord Caesar, and save yourself? And this statement he made, he said, for 86 years I have served my Lord Jesus Christ. He's never done me any harm. Why in the world would I turn my back on him now? They said, but you're going to be eaten. He said, bring on the beast. He said, but what if they burn you? He said, bring on the fire. And he said, said, I'm not concerned about it. And when he stood before the governor of Smyrna, they brought him before the governor of Smyrna, the governor pleaded with him and said, Polycarp, please, just declare Caesar as Lord. And he said, Just because you don't seem to understand what I'm telling you today, let me make it clear to you. I am a Christian. Those were his words. And he says, okay, so be it. And they take Polycarp out to the Colosseum and they tie him to a stake. They want to nail him to the stake. And he tells them, he says, listen, you don't have to nail me to the stake. I'm not going to move. I'll stand right here. And they got the wood together, and they gathered the wood around this man. He stood there at this stake as they wrapped him in cloth and, and, and it was fixing to light the fire. And they lit the fire. And the, uh, This letter says, and I'm sure it's true, greater things have happened. But this letter says that when they lit the fire, that the fire would only go around him. It wouldn't touch him. And they got so angry at, at this that they took a dagger and they went in and they stabbed him. And that when his blood came out, it began to put the fire out. But ultimately, Polycarp did die. But not without God showing them that I have some that are faithful even unto death. And this was the kind of suffering that Christians suffered in Smyrna. So when Christ comes to them in verse 9, listen to this. He tells them in verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation. What Jesus is saying is, I know how it feels to be drug out by the mob and beaten till my veins showed. I know how it feels to be tortured. And I know how it feels to be stabbed. And I know how it feels to be pierced. And I know your tribulation. I know it. Don't it make you feel good to know that there's a Savior at the right hand of the Father right now that no matter what you go through, He can look at you as... If He can look at people like Polycarp and say, I know your tribulation, do you not think that there is anything that you have suffered that He can't look at you and say, I know. I know. I know your tribulation. I know your suffering. I know your hurt. I know your pain. He says, I know your poverty. Listen, not only did Christians suffer the persecution the way they did, and I'm coming to a close, I'm going to shorten this thing up this morning. Don't laugh. Not only did these Christians suffer persecution to the degree that I'm telling you about right here, but but they also drove them into poverty. This word poverty, when you go back and do a word study on this, this word poverty right here literally means extreme poverty. In other words, they had nothing. It is a word that can also be translated as beggary. What is beggary? When you've got to beg for everything that you get. This was also a result of their persecution. In order to be a Christian in this place, it meant nobody did business with them. It meant they begged for everything that they had. He says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But then notice this next phrase that he says You are rich. (laughs) You may think you have nothing, and in this world, you probably do have nothing. But let me tell you something if you have your faith, you are rich. You are rich. And I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but they're not Jews. They they are from the synagogue of Satan. I want you to understand something. There was a time that Jews actually persecuted and killed Christians, but they weren't really Jews. There was also a time in the histories that Christians persecuted and killed Jews, but guess what? They weren't really Christians. So this same message can be turned around to us today. He said, listen, I know the ones that say they're Christians. I know the ones that say they're Jews. But I know who they really belong to by how they live and by what they do. But then I want to focus right here on verse 10. Two simple things. There's the fruit of the persecuted church. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. If you're going to be a Christian, I want to go ahead and tell you Suffering will come. Satan will probably come and ask for you. And let me tell you something. I believe the closer you get to God, not the more works you do. I'm talking about the closer you get in your walk with God trying to be like Him. I believe that's when Satan perks up and pays attention. And he says, you know what God? They ain't all they think they are. Why don't you let me take this from them? For some of us, it may be our children. Will you stay faithful? The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to show you a verse after I finish verse 10 so we don't have to go back here. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. The first thing, don't fear suffering. That's my point. I can sum it up right there. Don't, Don't fear suffering. Don't fear it. Embrace it. Say, you know what, if this is the battle, and I'm going to show you why, not to fear it here in just a second. But the second thing, he said, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. The devil's going to do it. God's going to allow it. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. That's the second thing. First thing, do not fear to suffer. The second thing, be faithful even if it means your death. Be faithful even if it means the loss of something. I got a good friend of mine. I don't want to call him out because I don't want to embarrass him, but he's been talking to me for some time about that he's got a side income that that if he if he doesn't he knows he, he knows it's not a godly thing. He knows it's not something he should be doing as a Christian, and he's scared to turn it loose. and And, and I want to look at him and say, you know what? God's gonna take care of that. But let me ask you a question: What if he don't? Yeah. 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 What if he don't? What if it means you have to completely release that in order to be faithful to God? Would you remain faithful if He takes it away from you? Would you remain faithful unto death? What is it that you would not give up in order to be faithful to God? Because the truth of the matter is if there's one thing you can find, you're not a Christian. You're not there. You're not there yet. You can be. But you're not there yet. Almost surrender is not surrender. I'm closing with this verse right here. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. We won't go back to Revelations. This is where we end. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Listen to what Peter said. He said, and after you have suffered a little while. You do realize that this suffering you have to endure right now, it's only for a moment, right? You know that little girl at Columbine School, when that guy came in and put the gun to her head and said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? You know one thing that I think she knew? This is only for a moment. This is only going to be for a moment. After you have suffered for a little while, the, great, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore. Some versions say perfect. When you do a word study on that, you'll find out that what He means in this is that God will restore. Y'all listen to me. Everybody that suffered loss, everything that the devil came and said... Let me take it from them and see what they do. I'm going to make you a promise from the Word of God. God's going to restore it. God's going to give it all back. And not only is He going to give it back, He's going to give it back in ways that you can't even imagine. Wives, husbands, children, lands, houses, jobs, money, even if it brings you to the point of beggary to be faithful to God. Are y'all hearing me? God's going to restore it after you've suffered for a little while to prove your faithfulness to Him. But then look what he says. He says, not only is God going to restore, God's going to confirm your faith. He's going to prove that you're genuine. He's going to shut the mouth of His enemy because you're going to stand and give Him praise. And what can the enemy say then? When you get to the end of the book of Job, do you ever read where Satan goes back to God and says, Ha ha, I told you so. What do you hear from Satan at the end of the book of Job? Nothing. 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 His mouth is shut. And then not only does he confirm you, but look what this suffering for a little while does for you. It strengthens you. Let me tell you something. I can promise you today because of my struggles and my trials, I am stronger in my faith. And I'm stronger as a man today because of what God has allowed me to go through. It made me weak for a time. That's true. It brought me down for a time. It made me vexed in my mind for a time. But today I can tell you I'm stronger Because of what God allowed me to go through. And then finally he says God will establish you. So I want to say one more time. This is in closing. Do not fear to suffer. Don't fear to suffer. Whatever it is. When you see suffering come your way. You look to God and say God. I don't know what you're doing. But I'm still going to praise you. God, if you take it away, I didn't deserve it to begin with. So God, I'm going to try and I'm going to miss it and I hate it and and, and it hurts so bad that I can't even explain the heartbreak I'm feeling. But you gave and you take away, but blessed is your name. I do not fear to suffer. Because I know that you're going to restore. I know you're going to confirm. I know you're going to strengthen. I know you're going to establish me or put me on solid ground is what that means. Do not fear to suffer. And listen to me, be faithful unto death. You want to know why I'm telling you this this morning? Look at this mad person coming out of here. Because there are some of you this morning that will get mad and run away because somebody hurts your feelings. That's just the truth. Yeah. And here Christ is telling you to be faithful unto death. You can't even hang in there if somebody hurts your poor little feelings. <laughs> Ain't that a shame? Yeah. That's a shame. Amen. I'm telling you, be faithful unto death. Whatever the devil throws at you, whether it comes from your brother or your sister as an offense or whether it comes from something that you have to put out of your life because it means your faithfulness to God, listen to me, guys. God's going to restore it. He's going to restore it. He's going to confirm it. And then he ends this whole letter by reminding them, now listen, to those who conquer, I'm going to give you the crown of life. In other words, I have eternal life waiting for you. This is just a moment. To the one who conquers. He will not taste the second death. To be faithful here may cost you a first death. But guess what? Even if you're not beheaded. Or even if you don't have a gun put to your head. Saying do you believe Jesus is Lord. Even if you don't die that way. You know what's still going to happen? Ten out of ten people is going to die. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll take a bullet through my head to go that way. Let me say it again so the devil can hear it. I will take a bullet through my head to go that way. If only God would give us the same opportunity. I know that sounds crazy. But I believe it that much. I believe it that much. And I pray that you do not fear to suffer. No matter what suffering he allows to come your way. One last little story. I've been preaching all day long. I heard this preacher talk about that there was this faithful woman in his church congregation that she had had a stroke. She was so faithful for so many years and she'd done so much for the church body. As he was going to the hospital, they had told him, They said, Now, Pastor, listen, I don't know what kind of mindset she's going to be in because. She's half dead. She's the whole half of her body is completely dead. It, she has no movement in it whatsoever in the right side of her body. So he's walking down the hallway and he's trying to figure out. He said, "I, I, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to explain why this woman is going through this." And he walks down the hall and he says he turns the curve, expecting it, not knowing what to expect. And when he turned the curve, he said that she saw him in the room coming toward the room, and when she saw him that she raised her left hand up in the air as high as she could get it. And she walked in there, and uh, and, and uh, the pastor asked her, he said, he said hey, what, what are you doing? She said, preacher, I may be half dead, but I'll praise him with the half I got in Amen. 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 Don't be afraid to suffer. Suffering's coming. It is. Satan may even ask for it. Don't be afraid to suffer, and be faithful even if it means your death, he'll give you the crown of life. And the second death won't lay a hand on you. That's right. That's Thank a promise. You. Y'all stand this morning. <clears throat> We're going to have a time of invitation. While they're getting ready, if there's something that you want to humble yourself before the altar and pray about, you don't even have to wait on them to pray. Just step out and just come pray. This ain't about a song that's being song. This ain't about some music to try to get your spirit stirring and moving. That's what the Word of God and the Spirit of God does. Amen. So if the Word of God and the Spirit of God has spoken to you this morning, I pray that you would let Him work in you however, however He sees fit.